he's a, a blessing to our church family. So we get to hear the word from Ben this morning. Amen? Is that on? Amen. Yeah! <laughs> kill it. All right, kill it. Last night he said, don't suck. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, I'll try not to do that. Um, could we have actually somebody hand out Bibles? There we go, yeah. There's some, there's some. We're going to be in Matthew 12, 1233, so you can kind of turn there. Um, I'm really excited to share on this passage because it's been one of the passages that uh, has had one of the biggest impacts in my life. Um, so I'm, I'm 39 now, so I've had a couple decades outside of, outside of my house, my parents' house. And uh, now that you have some hindsight, you know, a little bit later in life, you're able to look back on those lessons that God was teaching you early on, and you're able to actually see like the seeds that he was planting in your heart. And actually, years later, the fruit that you're able to bear from that, that was really good. Um, and sometimes we're also able to see on the, on the flip side, those seeds that we, were, we allowed to be planted in our heart that weren't that good. It's kind of sobering a little bit, but uh, this is one of those passages. So uh, Matthew 12, 33 to 37, read with me. Either, actually not out loud, I'll just read it out loud. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. Uh, let's pray. Lord God, uh, we thank you for this time to get together and study your word. Uh, we ask for teachable hearts. Um, teach each person today, Lord, in the way that they need to be taught through your word. And we also ask that uh, more than anything, that your word uh, would not return to you empty, that it would accomplish what you desire, God. Amen. Okay, so Austin, we have a graphic for us to, to put up. So for the last month, we've been going through the teachings of Jesus. Uh, six weeks ago, we went through the parable of the sower. Uh, then we went through Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. Uh, next week was Jesus' instruction to build our house on the rock by being doers of the word. We talked about the unforgiving servant. The next week, last week, we talked about the good Samaritan. And today we're going to be learning about the heart of a man and why it's so important to pay attention to what we allow into our hearts. And as we've been going through this, this series on Jesus' teaching, what we've been trying to do is tie this into what we call at Riverstone, the four steps of discipleship. And we have it up here on the screen. So, you know, we typically think of 
you know, Bible reading or prayer or some of those disciplines, right? A couple years back, LifeWay did a study on the idea of how much do we read our Bible. And it said that um, one in five Christians have read through the Bible at least once. 20%. I thought that that was kind of high. I've known a lot of Christians in my life, and I don't do this survey all the time, but that seemed a bit high to me, like all the way through their Bible, right? Um, But half of Christians say that they have read little or none of it. And it it shouldn't be any wonder that um, we're a little bit confused today about what's our moral compass, right? If it's five to 10 hours a day on our phones or some other entertainment, and we take, I don't know, a little bit of time in God's word, it shouldn't surprise us. So how often are we in God's word? Well, a third of Americans uh, that are in a Protestant church, so I think they'd probably put this in that category, say they regularly read their Bible daily. A third of Christian Americans. A quarter say they read it a few times a week, and half say they read it at once or less per week. So what's once a week? Maybe 30 minutes? 30 minutes, you know, uh, in God's word. What's 10 hours a day? 70 hours a week? 30 minutes? 70 hours? What's getting the most influence in our lives? Um, I, uh, I facilitated a men's Bible study for a long time. So whenever we talk about phone usage and internet or free time, I always like to talk about the subject of pornography. So let's make people even more uncomfortable. Um, 40 million Americans regularly visit pornography sites. Regularly. 35% of all internet downloads are related to that. And 34% of internet users have experienced unwanted exposure to pornographic content. So again, there's nothing wrong with being on a phone, but if you're, if you're on the phone or if you're on the internet, if you're, if you're doing all this stuff, if you're allowing the TV to feed you just whatever it feeds you mindlessly, and we get unwanted seeds being planted into our heart, what kind of fruit do you think we're gonna bear? Not the fruit that at the end you're going to want to be able to look back and be proud of that you, 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 be, you bore, bear, bored, bared, born. What's the, the fruit that you bore? Bore, thank you. Turn to me with, uh, to Galatians. Galatians 6, 7. So we go from a tree analogy to a seed analogy. Galatians 6, 7. a great verse. All right. 6-7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh, that being our sinful nature, will from the flesh reap corruption. What other Bibles say, destruction. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap from the Spirit eternal life. Don't be deceived. That needs to be in like 40-point font in your Bible, right? Don't be deceived. 
Paul's writing to the Galatian Christians here. He's writing to Christians, and he's saying, don't be deceived. Every time we read that in the Bible, we need to stop, and we need to think. I'm probably, or I have probably, been deceived in whatever follows next at some point in my life. And even what's worse, I might be deceived right now. Right now. I don't know about you, but I think we need to stop and think about that. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. No one looks back over their life when they're 50, 60, 80 years old and says, you know, God, all those things that you told me to do, all of those things you told me to stay away from, well, look, I did the very opposite. And none of that bad stuff happened that you said was going to happen. See, God, you're just trying to keep me from sin or keep me from joy, keep me from pleasure. One of my uh, youth pastors growing up, he said, um, God didn't come to take away your fun. He came to take away your pain. And that's what he wants wants us to understand from this passage. Don't be deceived. So, uh, I really enjoy uh, gardening, um, and uh, which I guess everybody else in the planet became a gardener this year too, because you couldn't like do anything in April. And like, who who got seeds this year that they they didn't normally get? Like, yeah, you took all my corn seeds. <laughs> I couldn't get the corn I wanted. Planted it three times. It's a terrible gardener. I'm looking at Krista. Krista's our resident gardener over here. So when you look at the back of a seed packet, um, there's a lot of information about what's inside. But what it doesn't say is all the information about the seed. It doesn't say, this seed is black. This seed is beautiful. This seed is about a tenth of a centimeter big. You're going to love planting the seed. It doesn't say that. What it does say is this. If you plant this seed, here's what you can expect. It'll take this long to germinate. It'll take this long to take root. And once it takes root, it will take this long until you get the fruit. And this is the type of fruit you can expect if you let this seed in your soil. What you can expect. Now the challenge with spiritual seeds Um, they take root under soil a lot longer. It's not a week or two weeks, right? Spiritual seeds are taking root in our hearts right now. And some of these seeds have been taking root for years, decades. It's that person that the wheels just like fell off of their life. And you look back and you think, well, what happened? Well, under the soil, seeds were taking root. Spiritual seeds sometimes take a year or 10 years to harvest. You and I are probably going to be harvesting spiritual fruit in 2030 that we're planting right now. So point number one, for those of you that that do the whole note-taking thing in church, Inspect your seeds. 
inspect your seeds. That was my introduction, Jared. How long do I get? <laughs> Jeez. It's like 10 to 11. I thought this would take a lot shorter. Okay, point number one, inspect your seeds. Inspect what you're putting in your heart, your soul, and your mind. Inspect your seeds. Um, I was really blessed growing up with some incredible pastors. I think back to, to youth pastors that were incredible in my life, and then also a, uh, the senior pastor that I grew up under. And they weren't afraid to address the influence of culture, specifically the songs that were being played on the radio and the, not the books, because people don't read books, but <laughs> the shows that were on TV and the movies. And they weren't afraid to talk about this. And they got very specific. And uh, uh, when I uh, got out of college um, and I started doing a men's group Bible study, uh, there was a friend that introduced this book to me called The Purity Principle. Has anybody read this book? I recommend it. The Purity Principle by Randy Alcorn. It's actually a book on sexual uh, purity. So again, we get to be a little uncomfortable. Um, but uh, uh, what he gives in this book is basically an illustration along the lines of sexual purity um, to help us think more clearly about the influences that we're letting into our lives, okay? Kind of a stop and think, have a little bit of, a, have a little bit of discernment. And he says this, I'm just scanning the audience for not too young of people in here. He says this, suppose I said, there's a great looking girl down the street. Let's go look through a window and watch her undress. Then pose naked from the waist up. Then this girl and her boyfriend will get in a car and have sex. Let's listen and watch. You'd be shocked. You'd think, what a pervert. But suppose I, instead I said, hey, come on over. Let's watch Titanic. Christians recommend this movie Church youth groups view it together. Again, this is 25 years ago, so they probably don't do that anymore. And many have shown it in their homes, yet the movie contains precisely the scenes I described. So as our young men lust after the girl on the screen, our young women are trained in how to get a man's attention. How does something shocking and shameful somehow become acceptable because we watch it through a television instead of a window? So I saw that movie. I was like 15 or 14 when it came out. Um, however, if I had read the book, I probably would have thought differently about <laughs> going to see it. Um, but that's the, that's the part that really caught me, is how does something shocking and shameful somehow become acceptable when you watch it through a TV? In terms of the lasting effects on our minds and morals, what's the difference? Yet many think Titanic, wonderful. It wasn't even rated R. Everyday Christians across the country, including many church leaders, watch people undress through the window of television. We peek on people committing fornication, which our God calls. <laughs> I 
an abomination. We've become entertained. This is harder than it looks, guys. Entertained by sin. Now, of course, he's talking about sexual purity. We can we could probably think about all these different types of seeds that we put in our lives. What he's trying to get us to understand is just think about what you're allowing into your heart. Again, it's right here. What we're allowing in is going to bear fruit. It's not a question of if. Point number two. Wait, where are we? Point one. Yes, point two. Okay. Point number two, if you allow a seed to be planted, expect the fruit. If you allow a seed to be planted, expect the fruit. Not, not, not hope for the fruit. If it's a bad seed, don't hope for that. But don't be surprised. So while Galatians says a man reaps what he sows, we could also say today, a man reaps what he allows to be sown. Because when we're passively being influenced, right, by all this stuff, we just turn it on, and I have no, no idea what's going to come on. But let's just, let's just watch it. Let's be entertained. A man reaps what he allows to be sown. Uh, one of my favorite books is uh, by James Allen. It says, or the, the title is As a Man Thinketh. And he says this, A man's mind may be likened to a garden, which may be intelligently cultivated or allowed to run wild. But whether cultivated or neglected, it must and will bring forth. If no useful seeds are put into it, then an abundance of useless, or we could say destructive, weed seeds will fall therein and will continue to produce their kind. We can't plead ignorance. Like, well, God, I didn't know that I was supposed to like, watch out for these seeds. There's this thing that I hear parents say sometimes about their kids as they're about to leave the house. Uh, I don't know if they still say this, it might be a little dated, but the idea of like, go sow your wild oats. I hate that saying. <laughs> if you're a young person in here, don't sow a bunch of wild oats. Um, you can have a lot of fun. You can have a ton of adventure in life. Life can be incredible, incredible without having to sow a bunch of wild stuff. Don't sow wild stuff. 2 Corinthians 10.5. It says, we demolish arguments and every pretension or claim that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ, to make sure that it's in alignment with his will. We take captive every thought. So point number one, inspect your seeds. Point number two, if you allow a seed to be planted, expect the fruit. And point number three, you and I will give an account for all our fruit. Verse 36, read this with me. 
I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. So I'm sure everybody woke up today and thought, man, I hope the sermon's on judgment today. <laughs> but honey, when was the last time we had a good judgment sermon? Jeez, all this God is love, grace stuff. Well, we have to talk about it because Jesus talks about it, right? As a matter of fact, of all the teachings of Jesus, uh, the teaching on heaven and hell actually comprise the majority of all the teaching. So we have to talk about it. Hebrews 9.27, it says that it is appointed for man to die once. After that comes judgment. And there's uh, two main judgment events that the Bible talks about. Uh, one is called the Great White Throne Judgment, and the other is sometimes referred to as the Bema Seat Judgment, or what's sometimes called the Judgment Seat of Christ. Uh, some people, a few people think that there's just like this one kind of judgment event, and it's all kind of smashed together. Uh, other people think that there actually might be three events. Um, but the first one is the Great White Throne Judgment that the Bible talks about. Um, it's not the first one that's mentioned, but I think as far as you can read from Scripture, it's the first one that happens. And the Great White Throne Judgment is this revelation from uh, God to the Apostle John. In the book of Revelations, he gets a vision. And he said, before me I saw a great white throne. He says this in Revelation 20. Then I saw a great white throne and him who is seated on it, God Almighty. The earth and heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Another book was opened, which, was, or which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. And this is the sad part. The, uh, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. It's a spiritual death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was sent there. Now, so this is basically, and Jesus talks about this in different ways, but this is the, the key separation of those that know Jesus and those that turn their back on Jesus their whole life. It says, if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. Those people spend eternity with Jesus. The others don't. And Jesus gives some pretty... Um, uh, clear language about what that other group looks like. And it's not pretty. We don't want that. And then there's this other judgment. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, it says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, this is actually written to Christians. He says this, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done well in the body, whether good or bad. 
And some people think, well, wait a second, I thought that you, you prayed that prayer when you were a kid, and then you just gotta, you gotta do whatever you want later on, and you, know, you, 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 get, you gotta be in the party at the end. Um, well, we're saved by grace, right? We're saved by grace. Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So while we're saved by grace, we're actually judged by the difference that we make. We're saved by grace through the price that God paid, that Jesus paid for our sin, but we're judged by what we do with our lives. 1 Corinthians 3.10 says that each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, and costly stones, meaning things that have eternal value, or wood, hay, and straw, meaning things that don't have any eternal value, their work will be shown for what it is because the day, capital D, day, will bring it to light. It'll be revealed with fire and the fire will test my, the quality of my work and the quality of your work. If what, he, if what has been built survives, the builder will, will receive a reward. But if it's burned up, the builder will suffer a loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. So this is, has been thought about through the history of the church as the judgment of the Christians. So we have the great white throne judgment the Bible talks about where it's, uh, God separates out those that followed him and those that didn't with their, their lives. And then the ones that followed him, it says that there's another judgment. You and I will give an account of all of our fruit. And yet there's so many people today that say, I can't serve a God like that. I can't serve a God that sends people to hell. I can't serve a God that is, would be judgmental. But the problem is that it's those people that probably really haven't read the whole story. They haven't read the whole book. They haven't read the whole Bible. It says in Ezekiel 18, we're almost done here. God spoke to Ezekiel, Ezekiel 18:23. Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the sovereign Lord? Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? In verse 25, he says, Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not just. Hear, O house of Israel, is my way unjust? Isn't it your ways that are unjust? Therefore, O house of Israel, I will judge you, each one according to his ways, declares the sovereign Lord. So repent, turn from all your offenses, then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourselves of all the offenses you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? I take no pleasure in the death of, ed of anyone, declares the Lord. Repent and live. That is the heart of the Father. That's God's heart for you, and it's God's heart for me. It's not a heart of, a heart of judgment. He just doesn't sit up there thinking, oh, when is Ben going to screw up next so I can slap him on the wrist? 
He's saying to us, turn from those seeds in, your, in my life, in your life. He says in John 10, 10, this is Jesus speaking. He says that the, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I am come that they have life and they have it abundantly. And that's God's heart for us. But we have to pay attention. We have to be careful. We have to find freedom from those seeds in our lives. I, uh, I want to be somebody that bears fruit. I want this to be a church that bears fruit. I want each one here to be able to look back and to, to see all the, the fruit that was born in their lives. Let's be that kind of church. Let's pray.